The rest of you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. As we look at prior, the body of Christ and body life together, we're just considering this morning prioritizing God in the, in the body of Christ. Because the question oftentimes is, what are we doing in the body? What, what's our purpose? What are, we, what are we trying to accomplish? What are we doing together? And it's a great question. In fact, in some ways, 1 Corinthians is written as a result of, of those questions. The Corinthian church is writing to Paul saying, we've got, some, we've got some controversies, if you will, some decisions we need to make as a church. We're trying to understand better how we handle certain situations. And there's two actually main areas that they wrote to ask Paul about. One is in regards to worship. Actually, both are in regards to worship in a sense, because the purpose of obviously being in the body of Christ, you would say, of course, it's to glorify God, right? It's to be, it's to lift up God and to make, to say, this is how great he is. And uh, so it's about worship, but worship is not just the songs we sing, it's the way we operate together and in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, one of the questions they were asking Paul is, how do we handle worship? How do we handle the worship overall? And, and he, he's saying, oh, you have uh, this kind of this emotional worship. They were, they were used to in the temples, evidently, kind of an ecstatic kind of worship where they would get kind of emotionally really high and involved and they would have these ecstatic experiences. And they were trying to bring that, in, in a sense, into the church. And Paul is saying through 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that... It's not about an emotional high in worship. It's about edification driven by love. You need to edify the body. Speak truth to the body. Edify the body. And that's what drives, that's what worship is really about. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there's another kind of worship that they think they need to do. It's the worship of kind of, if you will, knowledge worship. They're saying, hey, we have these food offered to idols, and some people think we shouldn't eat food offered to idols, and some think, people think it's okay, and, and, and they're arguing about what's okay and not okay in the body of Christ. It's, it's about the, the, who's, who's right, who, who, who possesses the right knowledge here in regards to this issue. Paul, however, does not answer it the way they expect, I think, overall, because he goes back to, again, edification driven by love as the primary thing that the church is involved in. In a sense, edification and glorifying God are two sides of the same coin in Paul's mind. Because overall, the purpose of the body is to help one another know God. And we do that primarily by how we relate to one another. So I want to look at that this morning and kind of the big idea this morning is that we edify one another in Christ's body by prioritizing one another's conscience before God. We prioritize one another's conscience before God in order to edify one another in the body. Now, this gets into, in a sense, the, the, both the fact that we live in grace, and yet grace drives us to obedience. Grace says, hey, we want to obey God because we love God. But then, as we seek to obey God and love God, it means that we then turn and love one another. And this area is sometimes referred to as the area of Christian liberty. And I used to think, in a sense, that Christian liberty was kind of this add-on, or these things you tack on to understand how to deal with all the issues that the Bible doesn't directly address. 
Like he, obviously, he never says what to do with cell phones or computers because they didn't exist, right? So how do you deal with technology? How do you deal with things that the Bible doesn't really address? And, and Christian liberty is a way of framing that discussion. But the more you look into the text here, you realize that that is not the heart of what Paul is getting at, how to deal with things that are kind of on the edges, so to speak. He's actually getting to something that's essential to how we approach God and one another in the body. So I'd like to read 1 Corinthians 8 together and then notice the, 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 the teaching that he's drawing out here for our edification. Follow along as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, Now concerning foods offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love... Anyone imagines that he knows something... He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods, in quotes, and many lords, in quotes, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all, are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in, a, in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Here we have... This teaching from Paul about how to handle the knowledge we have. And Paul says, first of all, that we prioritize God by seeking love over knowledge. By seeking love over knowledge. Notice again what he says. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love builds up. Now, this, this makes no sense. If, if you're thinking about God as kind of sense one mind or one ideal, if you will. The kind of, some people approach God as this uh, pl Platonistic view of God, right? That Plato had this idea that there are these ideals in kind of, that were non-material, that were, in a sense, out there, so to speak. And, um, and, and so we have these ideals that we need to strive to reach, to tr strive to achieve, to strive to understand. And the more we know about those ideals, the better off we are. And some people approach God the same way. Like the more you know about God, the, the more, in a sense, holy you are. And especially if you can get your behavior to line up with your knowledge, then you're, you, you have this, you're on the right track, so to speak. And, and I'd just like to maybe uh, just briefly here, kind of just imagine we're uh, sitting on a, sitting at a, 
you know, a restaurant, and I'll just pull over a napkin, and I say, okay, here's something I want you to, to prioritize, to kind of think about for a second. So let's say that we have holiness over here, okay? And find, in a sense, holiness as the ideals. And in this sense, probably, like, we, we wouldn't put in a sense, ideal behavior, right? Holiness is ideal behavior. And in a sense, we're on this journey to holiness where we get better and better at ideal behavior, right? And that knowledge that we have, we're growing in, I'm going to spell it right. We're growing, and the more knowledge we have, the more holy we get, right? And we understand, okay, that behavior, good Christians understand that behavior is a part of that. Like, you can't just know something and not act on it appropriately. So, my behavior is lagging behind my knowledge, and maybe this is my kind of my hypocrisy gap, if you will, the, the, the gap between my knowledge and my behavior, and, and that's just part of the thing I'm working on. But the, this, is, this is how I get to be more holy. Now, if this is true, then what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 8 is nonsense. If this is true... Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, makes no sense at all. Right? Because the more knowledge I have, the more holy I get, according to this. So why would I ever say knowledge puffs up, but love builds up? Well, it's related to knowing who God is. And in fact, that's the emphasis here that Paul first draws out, right? He says, verse 3, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And then he goes on, verse 4, Therefore, as to the eating of, idols offered to, uh, eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. Yeah, we know these things, he says. For although there be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, he's saying there's a lot of religions out there, out there that kind of conceptualize in who God is, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all are, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Can I speak it correctly here, right? He's talking about the Trinity, in a sense. He's saying, wait a second, the, the God that you believe in is not this ideal mind out here that has holds all these ideals, and the more that you know his mind, the more you can approach his holiness, and the more you can get to ideals. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, we understand that there's something different about the God we worship that's different than all the other gods, that his, it is one God, but it's made up of multiple people, the Trinity, <laughs> That, in a sense, ultimate reality is not just ideals, but it's relational. There's a relationship aspect that's here to what he's talking about. That kind of brings us to 1 Corinthians. Notice again what he says there, right? For there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So, Let's, let's go back to that uh, kind of, and just draw this out here for a second. So we have God the Father. Sorry, I put God the Father. Jesus the Son. 
add in the Holy Spirit, even though Paul doesn't mention it. Obviously, this book is being given to us through the Holy Spirit, right? So we add him in to the picture here. And what it's saying is the relationship here, the, the ultimate reality is that there's this relationship here from, from eternity past where the, the Father and the Son love each other. They, they, they know each other. They get to know one another. But they have infinite power, infinite ability, infinite decision-making capability. And yet they choose to know one another, to work together, to do that. And then they made human beings. Those human beings rebelled. But the Son came to ultimately die on the cross, pay for our sins. And he sent the Holy Spirit, right, to put us into the body of Christ so that now we, the Holy Spirit, are, in a sense, connected together. And the Holy Spirit is relating us to the Trinity, in a sense, that we're it's, it's not just that we, that we kind of know these, but that we're related to them. And of course, the whole thing is love. It's all about love here. You know, say, well, how, how does knowledge and behavior work? Well, in, 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 in relation to this, well, Paul adds in the, the concept of conscience, right? A little bit later on, he tells us, he says that the conscience is what this is all about. It's not primarily knowledge and behavior, but it's conscience. Now I'll go back for a second to 1 Corinthians 8 and just notice. So, so how does, notice he says it there, right? Verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through form association with knowledge eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. So here Paul adds in, there's something beyond just knowledge and behavior that matters. It's the, the area of conscience. Now, um, conscience is something that we kind of think of as something that, well, isn't conscience just the thing that helps me decide if, I'm, if I feel like I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Yes, but there's one key aspect that uh, John Calvin in his discussion of this brings out. He says this, wherefore, as works have respect to man, so he's making this idea of behavior. He's saying behavior relates to how we treat the individuals in public, like what we do in public, in a sense, what we do to, to, for or against one another. So conscience bears reference to God, a good conscience being nothing else than inward integrity of heart. In this, Paul says that the end of the, the commandment is charity or love out of a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith in 1 Timothy 1.5. So he, he's bringing in this idea of conscience. And he's saying, yes, conscience is that thing that, in a sense, tells you right and wrong, but it's not so much about specific behavior, it's more about the relationship. He's saying, you have inward integrity of heart in relationship to God. Well, some might say, well, then you're just saying that love is this kind of this, it doesn't matter what you do, this namby-pamby tolerance of everyone. Well, that's possible, but is that what Paul is saying here? Well, let's go a little, but go back to the passage again. We relate to God and who he is and what he's done. Let's, let's think of it from maybe another, another kind of, let's draw it out a little bit further here. Okay? So let's say, let's put, in a sense, the Trinity over here, okay? And the thing is, they're prioritizing 
the relationship. Yeah, you can spell that. You see? Uh, yeah, you can see that relationship there, right? Ah. And it's love, right? They're saying this is the, we, we value this relationship together. And God makes each one of us with a conscience. Man, my fingers are not. This is what happens when you just type and never write, right? So we have this, the conscience that's saying, what's my relationship with God like? How is this going, really? My conscience is always kind of evaluating, not just my behavior, but really, what's the status of my relationship? And I want to know that God loves me. It's really hard for me to act in love toward God if I don't think God loves me, right? But it's also hard for me, to, it's also, I, I, I'm also wondering, do I actually love God or not? I, my, my conscience should be asking that question. And then, of course, we have two different people with those consciences, and he's saying, in a sense, we need to make sure that we respect the fact that the key is that, that the most important relationship in the body of Christ is this relationship to God, right? If we're not respecting that between each other, then all of a sudden we start to make demands on one another, like, hey, I don't think God loves you unless you're doing X, Y, or Z, right? And all of a sudden we destroy the conscience of someone else because we're, we're saying, this doesn't work unless you do what I think you should do. That's what Paul is talking about here. And he's saying, look, this is, this is essential in a sense to relating to the body of Christ. Now for me, I didn't really figure this out until I got married. You say, oh, that's a long time to wait. Well, it's just, I'm, I'm a slow learner. What can I say? In fact, it took me a couple years of marriage. There was, there was a time, uh, one of the classic stories in our relationship, in my opinion. Um, she, she decided she was going to, uh, she was going to, uh, you know, during the winter, she wanted some exercises, and she was going to go to one of those swim classes at, you know, at the, the local pool, right? So the, the whole arrangement was, it was in the evening, I was going to drop her off at the municipal pool, she was going to go to the swim class, I would run to Walmart, do whatever I wanted to do, come back and pick her up at a certain time, she was done. No problem, right? Pretty straightforward as husband, drop her off, pick her up again at a certain time. Well, I didn't. You know, there's, I was a pretty terrible husband in a lot of ways, <laughs> starting off. But I, I literally, I was, I was over a half an hour late to pick her up. You know, she's there wondering in the cold, like, where is this guy? You know, and then, of course, getting madder and madder, like, one, wondering, like, did I get in an accident? You know, that whole thing. And then also, like, why, why could he just not pick me up? I mean, how hard is it to, like, show up at a certain time when you have the car and pick me up, Right. So I, I show up, and I know I'm late, and I'm, I'm like, she's like, she's mad, right? She's, you know, if, if, you know, if steam could come off her cold hair, it would have come off her cold hair, right? She's mad, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, well, okay, okay, I, I'm getting to know you, and I realize I, I already knew that I shouldn't, like, pick you up late, but my behavior, I just, need to, I just need to focus on this gap between my knowledge and my behavior, and just give me a break. It wasn't no big deal. I mean, it's not like you were in danger or anything. Like, what's the big deal, right? Then... It took me, a, it, so I was just defensive. I was like, you know, what's, what's the big deal, right? Like, I was trying to blow it off, right? And, and, and any husband knows that if you try off to blow, up, blow off something like that, that just makes it worse, 
right? Because the real issue is not that my, that my behavior wasn't ideal. That was not the issue. The issue was, was once you realized that I was safe, <laughs> was the issue was, is, do you love me enough? Like, do, do you love me? Like, it seems like you forgot about me for like an hour at Walmart. Like, is, is Walmart so amazing that you forget about me, right? I mean, that's the real heart of what she's concerned about. And of, by me being like, well, what's the big deal? It's no big deal. I was just at Walmart. I just forgot. I just got, I lost track of time. You know, it's just me. I lose track of time. And, uh, and she's like, well, that doesn't solve her problem, right? Because in a sense, her conscience isn't right that I really love her. I haven't solved that problem. I can, I can promise all day long I will do better next time. And it still doesn't solve the problem, right? Why? Because the conscience isn't clear about the relationship. What I should have done was I was like, honey, I'm so sorry. I was, we were, I was in Walmart and I was thinking about all the, the Valentine's gifts that I wanted to buy for you. And I, uh, I went to the pot section and I, I thought about getting you some pans because I know we could potentially use some pans, but I know that you really like, you really like um, to, to use your mom's old pans because they're, they're so great and they remind you of home and everything. So I, I know that was a bad idea. So then I went to the tool section and I thought all of the, the tools that I need to buy to help you fix the house because I'm really concerned about all the projects you want me to do. And, but I realized that's probably not a good idea. You don't, want, you don't want a tool for Valentine's Day. And so I was just in the, in the midst of kind of trying to go around and figure out what to buy for you for Valentine's Day. I just lost track of time. I'm really sorry, you know. No, that's a different discussion, right? Why? Because I'm, I'm demonstrating by my discussion that the, the key thing in the whole thing is that I'm valuing her. I love her, that I'm focused on her. Right? And Paul here is saying, in the body of Christ, You need to prioritize one another's conscience. Like, you have to understand that, and Hebrews does this even more. Hebrews takes a long time to just lay out the fact that, hey, before God, you should know with your conscience that God loves you. Yes, you can sin. Yes, you can mess up. Yes, you can, you can do things that... That, are, that God is not pleased with, but God still loves you. He sent his son to die for you. That's not going to change in your relationship with God if you've trusted in Jesus. And if that relationship is clear, then, then I can act out of that love. I can act out of that security of knowing that I am loved. Because Here's, you know, again, going back to the idea of Naomi, Pammy, love, so to speak. Well, it just doesn't matter what we do. No, what you see in the Trinity is, is the opposite of that. If fear is over love, then I'm always afraid. I'm always afraid that it, what, if I bring up something or I do something, that God is going to be like, oh, that, that was the last straw. I am out of here. I am done. Right? And so we hide behavior, and we, and we don't go into details, and we, and we don't get into tough discussions. Why? Because we're afraid that the relationship is going to fall apart. 
But God says, eternally, forever, because Christ died for you and rose again and sent you the Holy Spirit, you can know that you are forgiven, you are loved, and that will never, ever, ever, ever change. So love is not this, oh, let's just tolerate it here. This is, love is this, I'm going to enter in and I'm going to bring up difficult things and we're going to talk about it because we want to be one. We want to know each other well. We want to pursue one another. We want to do what's good for one another. And so therefore, we pursue that knowledge securely in love with one another. Love turns fear into courage. Can you imagine if the Trinity from eternity past, the God the Father was always like, I've got this thing on the side I'm doing by myself and I don't want the Son to find out because if he finds out that I'm doing something by myself, he'll be mad. No. Just, it just wouldn't happen in the Trinity, right? You just, what you see in the Trinity is them entering in. The Father's like, I've got this grand plan. We're going to create a universe. And then we're going to populate it with stars, and, but then we're going to make living beings, and we're going to make a, an ecosystem, and, and we're going to put images of ourselves on this planet that can, that can image to, to, to the planet what it's like to have God physically present there. And, but the problem is, is they're going to reject our rule because we need to help them understand how much we love them, how much we care for them, and we're, I'm going to... I want you, son, to, to enter into this plan, and I want you to go to the earth and become a human being like them, and I want you to die on a cross for them so they can really understand how much we love them, even when they reject us. And the son says, that sounds awesome. I'd love to do that. Because I, I delight in working together with you, Father, and I delight in, in knowing what you want me to do, and I delight in helping people see how great you are. And the, and the father's like, well, I delight in helping people see how great you are, son. So let's do this together. And the Holy Spirit's like, and I'll make it all happen, in a sense. Right? That's, they're intricately always involved in each other's plans. That's what love is, is prioritizing that relationship and being involved together, knowing one another, loving one another, prioritizing one another. And so... We prioritize God by prioritizing each other's consciences. We prioritize love over knowledge. We do that by prioritizing each other's consciences. Notice again what he says here. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food that's really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not become, somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. You see here he's talking about a weak person and you're like, well, what is he talking about? Someone who, who doesn't understand really how much God loves them. Doesn't understand uh, the, the full thing. And you say, well, well, Paul, you just wrote this. If they read it, then they should know it and they should be able to act on it. So why do, why do you then go on and say, but so pay attention to their consciousness because we just inform their conscience. If we just give them more knowledge, then they'll be okay, right? Have you tried to do that with a kid? Say, say, to, say to a child, you say, hey, um, I realize you don't know this, but walking out in the middle of a street when cars are coming, 
is bad. You know, don't do it. Do, call, do kids just once they know that they just act on it? Do so they're just oh like I know that now I'm good? No, kids don't do that. <laughs> we take that knowledge and we say oh, I wonder if I can walk up. I wonder if I can do it when no one else can. You know. Or, or they take it and they think, well, what does that mean? Like, it's, the, the, the point Paul is making here is that just because you know something doesn't mean that you're able to act on it. Why? Because it's not so much about your knowledge. It's, again, about that relationship you have, first and foremost. And he's saying here, in a sense, that the person who knew that there were idols and worshipped those idols in the past still, in a sense, thinks about that relationship with the idol incorrectly, but he still thinks about that relationship. And so he sees you treating that relationship as nothing and he doesn't think oh the relationship with the idol is nothing what he thinks is the relationship with god about idols doesn't matter which paul will say in first corinthians 10 is absolutely not true because idols are related to demons and he's saying look your, your conscience if it's weak is is thinking oh well that that behavior about god is must be not important i can do whatever i please in relation to god and Paul's saying, no, 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 we don't want to send that message. That's not true, because again, we want to show the love that we have for God. But there's, there's two different responses here, in a sense. There's those people who are weak, but then there's those people who are legalists. And legalists, in a sense, instead of, John Calvin, in his discussion of this, says, the, the weak person, you give an offense to them because they're not looking at you saying, well, you're so wrong, you, you should stop doing it. What they're saying is, oh, well, maybe, maybe my relationship with God doesn't matter that much. I can do it too. They're weak. The Pharisee, the legalist, comes in and is like, you should stop that. You're wrong. You're bad. If you, you should know better than to do that. And if you would stop doing that, then you would be more holy. You would be more righteous. And they take offense rather than give offense. John Calvin, in his discussion of this, says, the matter still remains un uncertain between how to handle this unless we understand the, the people who are weak and the people who are the Pharisees or the legalists. For if you destroy the distinction between the two of them, he says, I do not see how, in regard to offenses, any liberty at all would remain without being constantly in the greatest danger. What he's saying is, there'd be no freedom at all. If you collapse the category between the legalist and the weak person, then you don't have any liberty at all. You don't have any freedom to just act in, in the love that God has given you. He says, further in regard to the Pharisees, he says, what value to be, is to be set upon the offense of the Pharisees, that is when we offend someone who's just a legalist, we learn from the words of our Lord, in which he says, let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind, in Matthew 15, 14. The disciples had, had, had showed that the Pharisees were offended at Jesus' words, and he answers that they are to be let alone, that their offense is, to be, is not to be regarded. He's saying, in a sense, Jesus treated the Pharisees as, just don't listen to them, they're not worth listening to. And so you have this, this why is that? Why can he say that? Because again, the conscience is the key thing. And the legalist comes in and says, I'm going to control your conscience. I'm going to determine the status of your relationship with God. And I think God, in response, is like, no way. <laughs> 
I tell people how I feel about them. I tell people how I care about them. I showed how I cared about them in the, in, in the person of Jesus Christ, him going to the cross and dying for them. You can't determine the status of a relationship with him. I do. In the church, unfortunately, I think some, some of us follow God wondering if he actually does love us. You come to church, and you're just wondering, does God really love me? I know I, I, know I messed up this week. I, I know I'm not a perfect person. I know that, that I could do better next time, and, and, and I'm always looking for how to do better because I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm afraid, does God really love me? And you need to hear it over and over again. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. If you have trusted in him, you are his child. You are beloved of God. There's nothing that separates you from the love of God, Paul says. But some of us, we appear to follow God. We, we, we do whatever outward things we're told to do by our parents or our church. But really... We don't consider at all if God loves us or not. We're just more interested in appearing to do the right thing. Some of us go beyond that. We try to follow God by getting everyone else to do it the way we think it should be done. Like, like if we can convince everyone that, that our way is the best, then we're all, we, we know that God loves us if we're all doing it the same way. And Paul is clear here and in other places in Scripture that we need to follow God knowing he loves us and seeking to obey him because we love him back. This is, this is the relationship we have. He's the God of the universe. He loves us. He set us free. We can walk in his freedom, not to do whatever we please, but to walk in the freedom of knowing that he loves us and we can do a variety of things. So how do we do that? Just some practical things under point number three, practical ideas. We prioritize God by helping one another seek his grace rather than pleasing one another. He says, don't destroy one another, right? He says, verse 10 of chapter 8, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his weak conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. We're not supposed to destroy one another. We're supposed to prioritize their relationship with God and, and do things that, that help that to matter most. How do we do that? How do we fully do that? Well, here's just um, so, some ways of thinking about it, first of all. I think, I think overall what you're thinking is, I want the other person to know God loves them. I, I want the other person to know that they have a, a certain amount of freedom. They can't just like go and do whatever because God is God. But they, they've got this freedom to do a variety of things as they seek to pursue God and love God and do what he's called them to do. Can I just maybe apply it for a second, for a second to something like the discussion between homeschooling versus public school? Because parents struggle with this all the time, right? This is a difficult decision. You're, you're sitting there and you're saying, I'm, I'm responsible for these children. God's put in my life. How do I, how, how do I do what's best for them? How do I help them to, 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 to follow that? And, and on both sides of the debate, so to speak, your temptation is to feel like, well, if you knew what I knew, you would do what I did. <laughs> right? If you knew what I knew, you would do what I did. 
again, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. There's some great discussion about the merits of both ways, public school or homeschool before God. But he's saying, don't use your freedom to destroy one another's consciences. The priority within the body of Christ is not how to train your is, is to how to train your child in godliness, but it's not that there's only one way of doing that. It's that you do this in the confident knowledge that God loves you and you love God in a clear conscience before him. It's just like my relationship with my wife. I can say with a clear conscience, I love my wife. She's my priority. She's the one person in my world that I want, I want to please more than any other person besides God. That I want her to be lifted up and blessed and encouraged. That's, that's a clear, am I perfect at that? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I have a clear conscience about my goal here, right? So, so with homeschooling and public school and raising your kids, you want to have a clear conscience before God. God, with, with what you've given me, the, the resources I have, my understanding of what you want me to do with my life, before God, I think this is the best way for me and my family to do this. Have that clear conscience before God. And even talk about it with other parents. Like, this is what I see here. This is my challenge. Or this is what I'm afraid of. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. All of those are good discussions. But don't say to one another, well, there's only one way of doing this. Because God doesn't say that. Instead, build up one another's conscience and say, say, it's awesome that you're seeking to follow God. It's awesome that you're seeking to love God and do what he wants with your children. Keep trying to figure that out. Keep going that direction. If you want a good discussion on it, the Gospel Coalition has a great discussion on homeschooling versus public school, and it's, it's got some good points. But again, the point is not that there's one way of doing this. Another area is just reading your Bible. You say, well, how's it read? Like, we're supposed to read our Bibles. I, I get that. But even that concept of reading your Bible, right, it can be somewhat legalistic. Like, you can get into traps of, well, how much should you read your Bible? Like 15 minutes? And, and some people get into that knowledge behavior thing. Well, like, yeah, yeah you start about 15 minutes, and then, then you get up to an hour, maybe you get up to two hours, and then if you're really holy, you know, you, you know that's, the more you read, the, the more holy you are. And that's not the point at all. The point you should be asking with reading your Bible is, as you read your Bible, do you, are you growing in your appreciation for God? Do you delight in Him more? Do you, are you encouraged by his word? Are you, are you, does that reading help you to be like, I want to follow God. I want to pursue God today. I want to hear from him. You can do that in 15 minutes or you can do that in an hour. It, it, in, in various points in your life, it might be one or the other. It might be something else entirely. The point is, is that we're pursuing God and we're encouraging one another to do that. One last area um, of friendship. Um, so, so I've, over the years, I've been able to develop friendships with many of you, and I, I enjoy those friendships. They're, they're a lot of fun. One particular one is this, the friendship I have with Scott Thornton. We, we started to, um, we did some, I did some work for him. We, we hung out some. Um, and so we, we developed a friendship over time. Um, you got to understand, Scott is a, a railroad modeler. He, he's, he, he doesn't just put uh, uh, train tracks out and, and create a layout. He actually like, tries to make it realistic. Like if you went and saw the, the layout he had, you'd think, well, that's, that looks real. You know, like, like, even though it's in miniature, it, it looks real. 
the, 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 it's really impressive. And me saying it's really, I'm really impressed by it, even though he knows that if I, if I had free time and I could choose, I had unlimited money and unlimited freedom to do whatever I want, I would never choose to railroad model. Absolutely never. If you said you had to railroad model, I would go up and beat my head against a wall. Okay. Uh, I, I don't see the point. I don't. Uh, it's awesome that he loves it. And he does the same thing with me. He's like, soccer, that's a game where you like, run around chasing a ball for two hours. And, and, and even if no one scores a point in the game, you could be like, that's an awesome game. He's like, what kind of game is that? <laughs> and so, so, so our friendship isn't based on yeah, like we, we love to do certain things together our, our really friendship is mostly about we, we care for one another's hearts we have great discussions about the grace of God and what it's done in our lives and how it's motivating us and, and, and it's keeping us feel secure in his love why? because we, that's the kind of relationship that just over time has developed but it helps us to remember the key thing is not that we just enjoy doing things together. The key thing is we enjoy the grace of God together. So how are you in the body of Christ? God says he's created this relationship with you. He's He's made you, and he's created you to know him. And you do that, in a sense, with a sense of purpose that the Father has given you, and you have the sense of, of dependence on, on Christ because you're doing everything through him. This is a relationship you have. And it's a relationship where he wants you to know the foundation of that relationship is not your performance. It's his love. And he wants to build that relationship in love between the two of you. And he wants that to happen, not just, in a sense, this private thing that I have between the two of us. It's a trinity. <laughs> He's welcoming us into that together. So that the way I show love for God is the way I treat my friends. The way I show love for God is the way I treat my neighbors. The way I show love for God is prioritizing that they know God loves them. You see that key thing? This is why we have community groups. This is why we encourage adult Bible fellowships. We want to increase your knowledge, but we want to increase your sense of love for God and, and your sense that God loves you. So where's your heart? Maybe you haven't been asked that recently. What is your conscience like before God? Do, do you know God loves you? If not, you need to get back into his word. You need to read Hebrews. You need to read John. You need to read 1 Corinthians and be reminded God loves you. And what's your heart for God? Do, do, you, do you want to love God back? Are you seeking to fill, what is God, how can I love God back? And you go to his word and you're like, okay, I can obey him here and I can follow him there. And 
Where's your heart really at? What does your conscience tell you? And if it's like mine, it sometimes dabbles back into performance. Well, yeah, I haven't done a good job. and I'm No, 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 no. Okay, you haven't done a good job. But can you affirm that you love God? That you want to pursue Him? That you're seeking Him? And you're asking Him to change your heart so that it seeks Him more? I want you to have a clear conscience before God. Just like Paul who said, I have a clear conscience before God and before men. I know that I'm following God. I know that I'm trusting him. Do you have that? I pray that you do. And I pray that we together would help one another to know that. That we would have sometimes tough discussions, not so much about, well, did you do what I thought you should do? But more in the line of, okay, you're trying to do the right thing, but were you doing it out of love for God or not? Because you appreciated his grace. And you know he loves you. God wants us to have relationships like that. And God wants us to pursue that together. Will you? Heavenly Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us. It, it has, helps us to, to see more of who you really are, that you're not just this ideal. I mean, look at the Psalms. You, you love to hear from us when we're not feeling ideal. <laughs> because you want a relationship with us. You want us to know you. And you want to know us. And so we look to you. We're grateful to you. We ask that we would stand in your grace and love one another. In your son's name we pray.